Sequel Quest, Episode 84, A Last Action Hero Sequel. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. Welcome, fictional film cops and glass-eyed hitmen alike, to this episode of Sequel Quest. You found the magic ticket to fake movie fun, so let me introduce you to our cast of characters. First up, the man who knows that listening to any other podcast would be a big mistake. It's Jeff. <laughs> it's true. Jeff, you said that already. Hi! <laughs> And over here, it's everybody's favorite second cousin. Howdy, Jeremy. Howdy. And I'm the famous comedian, Arnold Bromschweiger. I I mean, Adam. And we're ready to kick off this show. 25 years in the making. That's right. The excitement, the fun, the action is here. Because, Jeremy, remind him what we're talking about tonight. Well, tonight we are digging into the 90s archives for Last Action Hero, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Austin O'Brien, Charles Dance, Bridget Wilson, Frank McRae, Tom Noonan, F. Murray Abraham, and Danny DeVito as Officer Whiskers. Danny DeVito? Oh, come on. You, you didn't barely... recognize that voice? No, but he was barely... Oh, come on now. He saves Robert his Prosky. life. <laughs> Robert Prosky deserves much more recognition. All right, well, here's the brief plot summary here before we get into the memories and whatnot. When a young Danny Madigan, a mega fan of Jack Slater action movie series, gets pulled into the cinematic world of his hero through a magical golden ticket from Houdini, he has to team up with the fictional super cop in order to stop an evil henchman from bringing his evil ways into the real world. That's summer blockbuster material. But was it? <laughs> and yet, we've never heard of this movie, Adam. How can that be? Oh, it is a sad <laughs> state of affairs in this day okay. and age. You know, often I can say, you know, I own this movie on VHS and all those things. I don't come across this movie often enough. No. I had to special order it on Blu-ray. Oh, they made it on Blu-ray? Oh, That's yeah. <laughs> let the colors pop. Let the ripper come at you. Gotta get your money somehow. Yeah. But it's interesting because I've been on a, a Last Action Hero Odyssey over the last year. I mean, we're entering now. We are within the 25th anniversary year of this movie. Uh, So I do have a lot to say about it. But before we get into all of that, I feel like this is important because this is our first Schwarzenegger film. We've covered so many iconic films and and actors, but never Schwarzenegger. He hasn't cameoed in anything? He doesn't cameo much, does he? Yeah, he he doesn't. (laughs) Unless it's The Expendables. But yeah, so it's crazy. So I, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of talk a little bit about where Schwarzenegger falls into our icons of cinema personally jeff do you consider him a personal 
cinematic icon that means a lot to you. Cinematic icon. Now that, if you put it that way, absolutely. I mean, there are very few cinematic icons as big as Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, Does he make great movies? Uh, It depends. And it's it's a really interesting thing. And like kind of what we talk about, like when we get around to Oscar time and stuff like that, is usually the big complaint that we get about Oscars is comedies. Oscar hates comedy and he never, you know, they never give comedies best picture or anything like that. But action, they don't even know what to do with action and nobody seems to have a problem with it. But if they did, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger would be the Marlon Brando of action. He, <laughs> he is, like, d- redefine the genre. I mean, if you have never seen Predator, if you ask me, Predator is the Citizen Kane of action movies, where it's just, like, it's perfect. And, yeah, Arnold is perfect for it because he just needs to grunt and be manly and, like, give a look that looks like he's going to kick your butt. And he's better than anybody. Well, see, it's funny you say that, Jeff, because, you know, that is his claim to fame, right, is action films. But my first exposure to Schwarzenegger was... Don't tell me twins. Yes, of the comedy movie (laughs) Twins, you know, or late night broadcasts of Hercules in New York, which is his first official film work. (laughs) Terrible. Exactly. So it, it, it does kind of frame then why you would actually appreciate, which is probably his worst movie, Last Action Hero. But when you compare it to those movies... Eh, not so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because also, I mean, he was kind of a family film guy. He was branching out at this point because Kindergarten Cop is the first time I remember crying at a movie in the theaters. When that movie came out in 1990 and the kids are chasing him in the ambulance after he got shot, you know, I was all tearing up. So, like, he's a comedy family guy in my mind until 1991 you know, Terminator 2 Judgment Day is, like, the biggest movie ever. Like, it's a juggernaut of merchandising, marketing, everything else. So I wear my mom down into taking me to see this. So it's my first R-rated movie experience. My mom's sitting next to me. Just, she can't believe that she got talked into it. How old are you at the time? I, I It was 91 that I was, uh, what, 11 years? No. Uh, nine years old what nine years old that's crazy but i hadn't seen terminator or predator or commando or conan the barbarian nor should you at nine yeah exactly (laughs) that would have been a bad choice by your mom but yeah but jeremy what about for you did you catch uh some schwarzenegger films in your years growing up get to the chopper (laughs) uh there's so many iconic one-liners that he's pretty much a, a walking talking meme almost yeah. But that's now. Like back right. then, oh, it's man. like you, you never would like when I'll be back. You wouldn't. It wasn't a joke. It was literally that was the coolest thing you could have. I don't know how he made Asta La Vista Baby that cool. Where <laughs> if you said that, you're like, dude, right on. That was funny. <laughs> but back then, it was not. It was awesome. I don't know, man. I I don't remember what I watched. When I first was introduced to Schwarzenegger, it was just the cultural impact, one could say, based on more so his Terminator work than any of this other stuff. Because even for me, I'm the oldest of the three of us here. And for me, I was too I was too young for Arnold's heyday. Like when 
Commando came out. I think I was two or three. Like, I remember seeing Predator at my friend Ryan McCaffrey's house when I was maybe seven, eight, or nine, and it (laughs) terrified me. I didn't, I hated that movie for a decade until I saw it as an adult. And again, now I can't stop singing the praises of it. But back then, yeah, it was definitely not, which is the funny thing, too, Adam, going back to like talking about the family friendly thing is that it's almost like for us, we missed the joke. The joke was Arnold doing a family movie and all of his movies, Kindergarten Cop, that was the whole thing. The fish out of water, like what is the Terminator doing in a kindergarten? Even twins, like here he is, this perfect specimen that's ended up with Danny DeVito, who is the exact opposite of him. And the joke was lost on us because that was our first exposure to him. He's been working for years, for years, on trying to make a twin sequel called Triplets with Eddie Murphy as the yeah, third brother. Yeah, I keep hearing that. I mean, it is crazy. And he's like, it's like his pet project. He's like, please, Ivan, Danny, let's do this. You know, like, I don't know if Eddie Murphy's the holdout. He's do- Eddie Murphy's working on his new Beverly Hills Cop. So maybe right after that one, he'll get into Triplets. Who knows? But Jeff, you've mentioned Predator twice here, and I think it's... It's important to say that this film, Last Action Hero, shares the director with Predator. John McTiernan directed Predator and Die Hard. And so, of course, when he's going to make this film that satirizes the action movie genre, Schwarzenegger's going to call up his buddy to come in. Not known for his comedy work, unless you consider Medicine Man with Sean Connery a comedy. (laughs) Have you ever lost your keys? Well, this is a million times worse. Anyway, yeah. so, I mean, if you're going to do all that stuff, you know, it's an interesting turn. But I feel like by 1993, Arnold is saying, look, I've kind of been there, done that. It only makes sense that I can poke a little fun at myself. And especially for me, seeing now a PG-13 movie starring Arnold that I can call my own and say, Last Action Hero, it is an action movie, technically, you know, then you get excited about that. Jeremy, I'm going to assume you did not see this in theaters. <laughs> would have no, been quite I would young. have been six. Yeah, yeah no. But Jeff, did, was how did you catch up with this movie the first time? It would have been renting the VHS. I mean, and again, like, although, because we didn't, I think we've talked about this before, I didn't see a lot of movies in theaters for, mm-hmm. for until I was in high school. But, and that's the thing too, that is the cloud over this, not many people did see it in theaters because the week before... Jurassic Park came out. Right. So who's yeah. going to bother yeah. seeing this movie when you can see that movie? Well, this movie has dinosaurs, too, at the La Brea Tar Pits. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, those dinos are just as real as the others, so... Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I was one of the few people who saw this in theaters. I was actually going back and looking, you know, in 1993, what was being released. I went and saw Jurassic Park, then I saw Last Action Hero, and the next week was the live-action Dennis the Menace film with Walter Matthau, and I was in theaters for that one, too. So I was basically three out of the four weeks of the month, I was at a movie theater, taking it all in in 1993. But this one was particularly memorable for me, because there's that scene where Danny is getting mugged in his own apartment, and the, you know, the mugger makes him handcuff himself to the toilet and all that. So 
right as the guy is pushing him in the bathroom, all of a sudden the fire alarm goes off and there's sirens and flashing lights. And, you know, it's, I'm just like, I'm freaking out. It was already a tense scene. And then that got my pulse racing. But then we got back to the movie and I was like, you know what? This was fun. Like as a kid, I didn't go back to rent it over and over and over again, but I remembered everything about it. Because to me, whether or not it's a masterpiece I think it's a very memorable film and it's got a lot of bits and action set pieces and, and unique moments that set it apart. You know, although it cost $85 million to produce, it only grossed $50 million. You know, it's kind of rough, like you said, Jeff. But it wasn't for lack of trying because they did a lot of promotion for this film. Do you remember any promotion getting your attention, Jeff, or any interest from you? If you ask me, the poster stood out I think the poster was a fail, personally, because what the poster was selling us was that this, it almost made it look like a cartoon, where it was like an explosion, and there was, you know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, karate kicking his way out of the poster and all that sort of stuff like that. And it for me, that didn't represent, it made it look like this is going to be, you know, like a cartoon sort of action movie or something like that. And I think that's how people came into it, and that was one of the reasons so many people hated it, because it's not that. Or maybe it tries to be, but that's what it fails at mostly, is to be this cartoon version of an action movie. Hmm. That's interesting, because, yeah, I would say that's what they were aiming for, and that's what they presented to us, you know, maybe aside from the, the real world moments in the film so that yeah that's interesting what about you jeremy i know that you've just caught up with this film you've watched it what were your initial thoughts going into this and how were your expectations met or (laughs) were you disappointed what did you think Uh, shoot this movie having watched it it seems like there's two full story arcs and yeah i was definitely checking my watch around the time of the first (laughs) story arc ending Oh. And going like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> How much longer? Okay. Well, and, I, and I will admit, when I go back and watch this film, I pretty much always watch it up to the point that, you know, they've, they've got after Benedict, they're trying to catch him, and then they cross over into the real world. And that is where I start to wane a little bit. There is a lot of fun stuff in there. But, like, up to that point, in the Jack Slater universe... Everything is so heightened and fun that I I get a kick out of that. Then, you know, yeah, as it starts kind of giving us the dull and dreary New York City, I'm less excited. But let's talk a little bit about that before I kind of share with you some very interesting promotional techniques that they use to uh, Uh try to get our attention. But as far as, you know, we went through the cast list Jeff mentioned one he felt we left off. But, I mean, there's there's a lot of cameos in addition to the main cast in an attempt to, you know, kind of play up the uh, the Hollywood connection of it all. Is there a scene in particular for you, Jeff, that stands out that you would say, you know, maybe this whole movie, it, it doesn't really work, but this one's pretty fun. Right. Well, and even before that, something I need to, to I feel like we haven't mentioned for those of you that are listening that haven't watched this movie. This is a bad movie. Like when we <laughs> talked about Congo also a bad movie even if we enjoy it this is a bad movie let's let's get that one out there now now hold up hold up jeff gun to your head you have to watch either thor the dark world or this 
with a gun to my head? Wait, <laughs> I, I the, wait yeah. are they which threatening me to watch one? Choose? Yeah, which, oh, which well, movie do you choose? I don't know that I need a gun to my head, but the, <laughs> uh, well, I'm a Thor fan, so I would, I would always, I'm a Thor and a Christopher Eccleston, so I would always give that one a break. The one thing that I will say about this movie, and that's the one thing to kind of, as we're starting to talk about the the, the different moments, that is, I think, the reason that it's worth us talking about it tonight, not that we couldn't talk about anything, but, you know, especially this movie, is the potential. Kind of like going back to, like, like Total Recall, where the concept is so interesting that there was a lot they could have done with it, uh, that they tried and then maybe failed. So with this one, again, the fact that it's, a kid with a movie ticket that's able to jump into a movie and then jump back out. So there's this whole meta narrative that's going on where it's just because then uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, not as himself, but as the character comes into the real world and is kind of like, huh? And the differences between the real world and the movie world. And like some of that is very, very interesting. So for me, those were the moments. The two that always stand out for me is one when they go into like the blockbuster or whatever it's called and they see the promo for Terminator 2, but it's <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. And Arnold Schwarzenegger's character goes, oh, yeah, best performance he's ever given. Like, that was <laughs> that was great. That was Arnold kind of winking at himself. But then the second one was when, because one of the bad guys in the movie, as he always is, is F. Murray Abraham. And the kid recognizes him because in the movie Amadeus, F. Murray Abraham oh, killed Mozart the villain. in exactly, Amadeus. Mozart. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And he goes, Mo who? So I thought, again, those kind of meta moments, I thought were pretty, those were, those are the fun ones I remember. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting that you bring up the actual, you know, just the premise of it is so full of potential. That's one of the reasons we thought tonight we could revisit this universe and see what you could do with that in the sequel. But the people who brought us this whole concept is a two-man writing team, but one of them is Zach Penn. He has written two X-Men movies. The Incredible Hulk, The Avengers, and most recently, Ready Player One. This was his first movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Gotta okay. start somewhere. Uh, <laughs> his writing partner was a guy named Adam Leff, who went on to write comedies like PCU and Biodome. So, a little oh, different career goodness. path. Hey. Maybe, maybe if the comedy is <laughs> not working for you, that might be why. I don't know. Writers never get any love. <laughs> But what's interesting though is they didn't write the screenplay. They were, you know, they wrote the first draft. But then Schwarzenegger, who was the executive producer, says, "Well, we have to hand this to Shane Black because he's the the wonderkind of buddy cop action movies. He's Lethal Weapon. He's the Last Boy Scout. He's our guy. I I was in Predator with him, you know. So they get Shane Black to do a pass on the script, and then." Schwarzenegger says, I need Jack Slater to have more pathos. So he gives it to like the most famous screenwriter of them all, William Goldman, to add Jack Slater scenes that give him more depth. You know, <laughs> the tragic loss of his son. I have a feeling was something William Goldman added to all this. Oh, wow. I I didn't realize that. Like in looking up trivia, I knew that the Zach Penn had done up the script to make it a parody of Shane Black films. Mm -hmm. And then ironically, the studio took it back to Shane Black to action it up, give it a little more quip. 
Yeah, and I, I, because I have the novelization here in front of me, and it's funny because it, this is how it reads: a novel by Robert Tyne, based upon the motion picture, story by Zach Penn and Adam Left, screenplay by Shane Black and David Arnott. So, oh wow! So I mean, it went passed through a lot of hands. Not all of them were given credit, obviously, but yeah. So it's just interesting how you know everybody probably thought, yeah, this is a great concept, but maybe too many cooks in the kitchen. It's hard to say. Hmm. But Jeremy, having just watched it for the first time, what was a real standout moment for you? The villain. Like, it was very cliche, villain-wise. Yeah, Charles dances Benedict. Yeah. Yes. He's pretty intense, definitely. Yeah, and apparently that part was one that Alan Rickman turned down. Mm-hmm. Solid move. Solid move. <laughs> well, well, I also read that Timothy Dalton was actually in the running as well, so if you could imagine how that would have all played out. Timothy Dalton, he was great in The Rocketeer. We've covered him, so I, I could see him doing that as well. I mean, what is it with all these 80s and 90s villains all being gingers? Like, that's kind of stereotyping. Well, yeah. because you're all evil. We know this. I mean, they have no soul. That's what they say. Well, you know, I'm sure you guys could guess, you know, Jeff mentioned it, that my favorite scene obviously would be the video store because just to take in a 90s blockbuster (laughs) video, like I literally was pausing my Blu-ray as he was walking by every shelf and looking what movies, you know, there's like Young Guns and Young Guns 2, you know, and all. It was just exciting to see everything that was there. But I especially, I love it that scene that are Arnold, again, he really gets to have some, I feel like, legitimate humor that comes off not just like, oh, groan-worthy stuff. Or he's like, oh, because I saw it in a movie. And the girl turns around, she's like, you were in a movie? Instantly, he's like, yes. It was called The Girl of My Dreams. It starred you. We had a very romantic scene together, you know? <laughs> like, Or when he leaves, like, this woman is much too attractive to be working in a video store. You're right. She should be working with us. Undercover, of course. (laughs) Are you sure he wasn't just ad-libbing on set? Ah, that's very possible as well. (laughs) Sleazy Arnold. But what's so funny is, like, you know, I watched this movie fairly regularly, and I watched it a couple weeks ago, and then I was telling my wife that we were doing the show. She's like, Last Action Hero? I'll watch that. And I'm like, what? She scoffs at every Marvel film, just (laughs) anything that comes out. But Last Action Hero, she's on board for. So I don't know what to say about the movie taste in our house. But there's another real funny scene, you know. The La Brea fart pit? No, not quite. That one's a little rough. (laughs) But as they're driving to try to find Vivaldi's house, basically there's a line where Arnold's, you know, making fun of the kid he's like oh you know all those years of police training mean nothing because all you have to say is the bad guy is in there you know but these (laughs) kids like you think you're funny don't you of course, I'm the famous comedian, Arnold Braunschweiger, Schwarzenegger, Gesundheit. You know, so like they got their little back and forth. But I think what's funny about that is, again, with the novelization, that scene goes on a little bit longer. I'm just going to read like three lines here for you. But uh, he says, very funny, said Danny, getting out of the car and starting up the driveway. Slater followed. What kind of name is that, anyhow? Austrian, said Danny. Yeah? Well, I got you there. I was born in Newark, New Jersey. So there. Newark, huh? So where'd you get that accent? Slater looked genuinely puzzled. What accent? He said. Mm-hmm. Forget it. 
<laughs> so I like I because that was was the one thing missing. If you're gonna make fun of Schwarzenegger and how he plays all these guys with very American names, you know, unless he's John <laughs> Matrix, who's who knows who right. that is. Like it's just so hilarious that it's never called out on his accent, and they never try to explain it. Van Damme movies, well, always Van Damme explain. too. No, but I'm saying it is movies. They explain a lot of times mm. that he's, you know, French or whatever. But in this right. one, it's like, nope. <laughs> I enjoyed right. his cameo in this. Well, in that scene, they said they filmed so many cameos and they kept like three people. And Jim Belushi, they decided to yeah, keep. Yeah, right. <laughs> David Wayans. <laughs> MC Hammer? Hammer was pretty good, though. Hammer was pretty big, yeah. <laughs> Although I think that was really the end of his career. But he was right. doing a lot of movie soundtracks at the time. He's like, yeah, it's a done deal, right? Yeah, Slater 5? But he had just done Adam's Family, you know. <laughs> but anyway. But And then also that should be mentioned is, one, Art Carney, who was known for being in The Honeymooners. Mm-hmm. This was his last movie before he died. And then my favorite on the cast list is Tough Asian Man, which is portrayed by <laughs> Professor Toru Tunaka. Yeah. Odd job. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that was his last movie, too. So, yeah, it's exciting to get it all. I don't know how much longer Anthony Quinn stuck around, but I know he was Zeus in Hercules, the Legendary yep. Journeys yep. TV show. So he was there for a few more years, at least. But also in this film, Ian McKellen, pre-Magneto. Yes. Very as cool. death. Yeah. And he was actually would go on the next year to be in The Shadow, which we've also covered. So all these great (laughs) movies he was in that I love. (laughs) And then he got big and famous. Yeah, and it's the funny thing about Ian McClellan. You look at his pre-X-Men career, he had a lot of really crappy movies. Like, he's not some, like, oh, you know, like, you don't put him up there with Anthony Hopkins or something like that. Now you do. But back then, oh no, he's got plenty of stinkers. Yeah, but I think it's important to mention too, as as long as we're talking about movies we've covered, there's quite a Monster Squad connection here as well, because with Shade Black as one of the screenwriters, he wrote The Monster Squad, and also Tom Noonan, who played Frankenstein's monster in The Monster Squad, is the Ripper in this film, who is a genuinely creepy, funny villain. I love how he's got Jack's number. You know, he just never (laughs) believes anything he says. And when he's at the premiere, hey, Rip, what are you you plans for tonight? Uh, Well, I I thought I might kill somebody. (laughs) (laughs) All right, gets to it. But uh, probably my favorite of the cast overall, I have to say, uh, is my junior high school crush, Bridget Wilson. Sure. Who, you know, I fell in love with her as Miss Vaughn and then Sonya in Mortal Kombat, not realizing I had seen her in this. She was also on the later seasons of Saved by the Bell, but probably nobody remembers that. But the fact that she had been playing Jack Slater's daughter in this movie never crossed my mind until I went back to revisit it, you know, a couple of years ago. And I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. There she is. Now Bridget Wilson Sampras. What's up there with that? Marion mm-hmm. tennis players. I was right here. Right. He says with his wife upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into this. I want to talk a little bit more because I actually have the making of as well book, the official movie book. You it's made called. a book about this? I oh. spent the book. Well, that's what I'm saying. They did so much promotion on this movie. It was slated to be a big deal for Columbia Pictures. They said, this is it. We finally got Schwarzenegger. People are going to want to see this movie. And so they had action figures, one of which was Jack Slater as Hamlet shooting a skull (laughs) missile from his hand 
and it is hilarious. Like, I mean, the, the stuff that they put together for those. I mean, they even had one is uh, kind of creepy, actually, where he's like supposed to be undercover. And so he's got a trench coat on that you click over the, the figure and then his hands are in his pockets. And you're like, Jack Slater Flasher figure? What is this? Like, uh, but they did board games there were seven different versions of a video game on different consoles three for nintendo consoles a pinball machine animated action cups at burger king and trading cards i collected those i have packages of them and on the package it talks about this comic book series, a last action hero comic book that was going to be produced by Tops, but it never was. I, that's what I've been looking for a year on eBay, just trying to do all these online searches, and there was just no evidence of it. I even went so far as to contact the former editor-in-chief of Tops Comics, who's wow. now a, an editor for like a magazine at Lake Havasu, of all places, and uh, he did not respond. Um, <laughs> no comment. But I found an eBay auction, rare, never released, Last Action Hero trading card inserts. I was like, I cannot believe this. So, of course, I bought them with no competition. I got them for six bucks, and I own <laughs> these one-of-a-kind cards. They were not released, and I, because I was able to talk to the guy I bought them from. He was the designer of the trading cards, these special inserts, and he told me, he's like, yeah, well, the comic was so far behind in production that when the movie tanked they just said well forget about it <laughs> there's no reason to even try now and so he went to the tops offices they're like yeah sorry we're not releasing it but uh here let's give you a couple of the cards you worked on them you know and then he was selling them so i did a full interview with him For all about the next yeah oh. I mean, because nobody guy. cares about this movie. That like it's even true. the bad movie podcasts don't talk about this movie. That's how far <laughs> down it is, you know. Uh, but they did so much promotion. I'm going to read you something here. This is something that it holds distinction, not for being a bad movie or Art Carney's last or whatever you're going to say, right. but. This is called The Final Advertising Frontier. Last Action Hero has the unique distinction of being the first movie, or actually the first commercial product of any sort, to ever be advertised in space. <laughs> the name responsible for thrusting Last Action Hero to the apex of 1993's summer films is emblazoned in bold black letters along each of the six booster rockets while the film's title is splashed across the main fuselage in colorful letters 20 feet high. Without a doubt, the rocket is the most unique and extravagant movie promotion ever attempted. And then, as Columbia <laughs> Chairman Mark Canton states... Arnold is such a gigantic star that we wanted to give this movie the biggest liftoff in the universe. <laughs> wow. Oh, it's so sad. One small step for Arnold, one giant leap for Columbia Advertising. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, yeah, so they did that. Plus, they made a huge, giant, you know, Jack's... Hey, I did a big, huge, almost. Um, there you go. <laughs> Jack Slater balloon for the film which is crazy. You know, they put it in the premiere scene, but they actually had that going around as a promotional thing as well. One little fun fact is it originally had a, you know, you had a shotgun in one hand and a bundle of dynamite in the other. But right before they went to film that scene was the first World Trade Center bombings. Mm. And so New York basically said, uh, you're not putting that up here. 
And mm. so they had a seamstress all night take off the dynamite and then take off this policeman's badge that was on the belt and put it in his hand so he was holding his badge instead. That's just kind of an interesting, you know, last minute change they had to make, so... Yeah, they really tried. <laughs> they really tried. You got to feel bad for Columbia. Right. Well, and it says, too, what is it, the, the different facts? Because I guess uh, it says that there's a book, uh, what, Hit and Run, which is talking about Sony Pictures in the mid-90s, and they have a whole chapter about this called How They Built the Bomb. And one of the things they talk about is how there was a rough cut that was shown to preview audiences, and they hated it. So Sony destroyed all of the test cards and tried to pretend like that never happened, but that started people saying how bad a movie this was going to be months before, well, one month before it actually came out. And, you know, again, like you said, it's unfortunate because it's got a great premise, and yet it just, it doesn't play out completely. Like, by the end of it, you don't really know what were we supposed to learn from this? Because Arnold's perspective was, we want to show kids that all this action movie nonsense that has made me famous is not something that you should emulate. It's not something that is real, you know? And, like, he even makes the joke at the premiere uh, scene about, you know, it's like, well, you know, we only kill 42 people in this film. We killed 119 in the last one. Wow. You know? Yeah. And even in all the advertising in the video game, Arnold said, he told people, he's like, you cannot show me shooting smoking all of these things and it was like just totally hypocritical because that's all he's doing throughout the film and most of his films but like the video game he just punches people you know <laughs> uh, there, there there is some uh you know sketches of the artwork that was for the comic book that never came out and the artist says arnold told me i wasn't allowed to show him smoking but he smoked in the movie so i put that cigar in his mouth you know <laughs> like, so he wasn't having it so it's like i think that's sort of what he liked about it is he thought he could get that message across but his next movie i think was true lies and what's right. he doing again he's just back to his old tricks so it's just right. it's ridiculous yeah. Well, and it's one thing, too, and, like, that's the thing. This was, what, 1993? Mm -hmm. And, uh, like, mentioning about Total Recall, which I still think is a, is, a, is a good movie. And, I mean, like, the when they tried to make the remake just recently, it didn't go over as well because people still like that original. But it was literally the bloodiest movie ever made. And they had to fight to not get it rated X because there was so much blood and so much, you know, going And, like... That definitely changed his reputation. So making stuff like Kindergarten Cop and then Junior and then Jingle All the Way to kind of yeah redeem that reputation, I think. Yeah. Well, now I think it falls to us. Can we mm. redeem the reputation of Last Action Hero in this universe? What can we bring to the table that might get people actually in theaters this time? Jeremy, you want to kick us off with some pitches? All right, here we go. Set in the present day, Danny Madigan has been chasing that adrenaline rush ever since that fateful week 25 years ago. The ticket hasn't worked for him since he sent Jack back to save his life with that minor flesh wound. He's been down a long and rough road, even writing and directing a few minor movies, using the funds to save and upgrade the theater. Over the years, Danny's been shot down on multiple occasions for scripts by the studios in attempts to revive 
his beloved Jack Slater franchise. In the meantime, he's upgraded the theater to digital from the old projectors, renovating all the theaters but one, reserved for festivals and nostalgic flicks, and of course, the occasional Jack Slater marathons when Danny wants to see his old friend. Strange things start to happen when a Jack Slater reboot is announced in the trades, catching Danny's attention. One day, random villains from various Sony movies start popping up at a Comic-Con, terrorizing attendees, tearing through booths, injuring many, and killing a few folks in what people think was a promotional stunt gone wrong. The news reports and investigations indicate that these villains who were captured aren't yet positively identified, but Danny recognizes them, realizing and remembering he only recovered half of the Houdini ticket. Some entrepreneuring villain found the ticket years ago as a kid, snatched it away, and only recently realized what true power it held. Danny digs out his half of the ticket and goes about to recruit help from various movie heroes. Yet the only film he was able to access was Men in Black. Not the original run, but the new one with Channing Tatum. In a last ditch effort, Danny leans against an old Jack Slater 6 poster, pretending to talk to Jack, and he falls into that world. Surprisingly, Jack is there and catches him after he falls in. Jack hasn't aged a day, but he is on the hunt for a villain of the flick who has mysteriously disappeared when Jack had him cornered. Jack returns to the real world with Danny, but instantly ages 20 years. The odd fellow trio of the old cop, the director, and the extraterrestrial supernatural detective head out to take down the villains and work their way to the top of the crime pyramid. The crime lord is the one they find out who is spearheading the Jack Slater reboot. And in this one, Jack has broken bad, self-funding the movie with the profits of his crime spree. The reboot Jack and old Jack face off in the finale, while Danny and the crime lord square off in a game of wits with movie cliches. In the end, the studio cans the reboot, purchases Danny's new idea for a continuation of the Jack Slater franchise, and Jack lives to see another movie. Oh, <laughs> so wait, but that's not bad, Jack. That's the good one, then. Da da da! That'll be the cut scene. You'll find that. Yeah. It's bad, oh, okay. Jack. Okay. Set up the sequel. Maybe both survive. Maybe both. Okay, I'm with you. Very nice. Yes, the further adventures of Danny Madigan. All right. Well, I'm gonna jump in then because mine uses a similar jumping-off point, but goes in a much different direction. Because, yes, as you'll recall, after Benedict explodes on the New York City rooftop, half that magic ticket floats out in front of the theater, showing the seventh seal, from which Ian McKellen as death emerges. But we never see death return to the screen, nor do we see who picks up the ticket. My film is called Death Comes in Threes. Ian McKellen's death is confronted by the real-world Grim Reaper and is told to stop collecting souls illegally. He is at first confused, then depressed that he has no purpose on this earth, realizing he has no idea where the magic ticket came from or where it went. Death is then confronted by a man in a business suit played by Al Pacino who claims to be the devil. 
and says that he will help Death to return to his meaningful existence in the film world if he helps the devil lead a few people to their demise that are on his most coveted souls list. The devil then leads Death into a revival house screening of Bill and Ted's bogus journey and produces <laughs> the magic ticket which causes the goofy Death from that film, played by William Sadler, to cross over into the real world. The lighthearted Death has already been to heaven and won the Battle of the Bands, so he happily teams up with his somber movie counterpart, who of course thinks this bubbling idiot is an insult to his honorable profession. And thus the buddy comedy ensues. The devil instructs them to start pursuing various celebrities and engage them in activities which will lead to their doom. For example, they meet up with Tom Cruise on the set of the latest Mission Impossible sequel and convince him to perform a stunt where he swings on a line between two helicopters over an erupting volcano with one arm tied behind his back without a harness. <laughs> but he miraculously survives, revealing that he is an alien, so he won't appear on any of their lists. <laughs> Seeing what they're up to, the real Grim Reaper is having none of it, and he starts sabotaging the Deathly Duo's attempts to complete the Devil's List. Next, they approach Brad Pitt, and make a joke about his playing the role of a pretty boy Death in Meet Joe Black. Then chase him onto a vacation cruise liner for single women in their 40s, where he is nearly trampled to death by the mob of lonely ladies. But when the Grim Reaper makes Chris Hemsworth appear in the middle of the ship, Brad manages to board a lifeboat and escape. Next, they convince Lady Gaga to incorporate a giant pistol into her stage show as a statement against gun violence. And then they load it with a giant mortar and try to aim it at her during the show. <laughs> But the Grim Reaper causes a rising platform to put the two death dudes in the path of the blast instead and launch them out of the arena. Returning from their failures, it's revealed to Death 1 and Death 2 that the devil is in reality a former usher at the theater where the magic ticket stub landed, named Erwin Rushman, who picked it up after his shift the night that Death chased the audience out of the theater. Erwin thought the ticket would help him finally get his screenplay for Thoroughly Modern Millie Returns produced. But he found that all the stars and producers he approached thought he was crazy. So he used the ticket instead to track down Death to help him exact his revenge. Out of his mind, Erwin decides to decimate all of Hollywood by bringing out the Angel of Death from Hellboy 2 to fly into the crowd of the Academy Awards and send the celebrities to their doom en masse, believing... That will even the playing field. The Death Dudes managed to thwart this plan by saving Julie Andrews from the crowd and convincing her to do her famous elevator tap dance routine after bringing out her movie counterpart, Millie, to reteach it to her on the fly. This warms Irwin's heart, who joins in and then tries to send the Angel of Death away, but cannot. All seems lost until the actual Grim Reaper shows up to battle the movie monster and taking the ticket from Irwin's hand, flies the angel back on the screen he came from with Guillermo del Toro popping up to make a quip about how D-Box seats are crap compared to this experience. <laughs> At that point, William Sadler Death returns to Bogus Journey and Ian McKellen Death gladly returns to his chess game in the seventh seal as credits roll. Oh. All right, Jeff, what do you have All for right. us? Well, and that was part of it, too, is I feel like with this one, uh, we partially need to reboot it. Because, again, I don't think many people have seen this movie or want to. So uh, we're going to do a sequel slash reboot. It is going to take place in present day. 
in another movie theater. A very similar premise. There's a devoted teenage girl who spends every day after school, she comes in and just watches movie after movie after movie every single day. But this time, the weird thing about that is not just that she's spending all her time here, but who goes to the movies anymore? That's the weird part, is that why isn't she Redbox Netflixing or Huluing all of these things instead? So this wise, kind-looking old usher kind of starts chatting with her as she's showing up, and, much like in the first one, presents her with a movie ticket. It says that, you know, the same sort of a premise, that it's, it will increase her movie-going experience, or whatever he says in the original. But finding out that then she can take this ticket and actually enter into the movie just like Danny does in the original. Her favorite, coincidentally, also is Jack Slater. And now, older Jack Slater is appearing in movies where he's old and so that's kind of the joke and he appears with a bunch of other action stars and they fight and blah, 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 blah. So she comes in and meets a, you know, older Jack Slater. However, he still has, as this character, the very old school mentality that as a girl, her job is supposed to be the damsel in distress. So the meanwhile, like the girl, she wants to be an action hero just like Jack Slater because that's who she looks up to. But oh, no, 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 girls are just supposed to be, you know, the ones that we rescue, not the ones that we fight beside. So uh, in this desire to become an action hero, she decides that she's going to take Jack along with her, hop out of this movie, and hop into another movie that girls are actually action heroes. And that way they can hopefully teach Jack that, like, this is okay and, and you should be able to, like, you know, expand your viewpoint, blah, 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 blah. So it goes into another movie, like something with Melissa McCarthy, I'm sure. But as they're hopping into the movie, the ticket stub like rips or, t or something is left behind. And another moviegoer who is considerably older and considerably creepier finds the ticket stub and figures out what it can do. And the movie that he's watching, he's actually watching that same Jack Slater movie but his favorite part is always the villains. So the villains show up, and that's where he hops into the movie. He uses all of his, his knowledge about that genre and everything like that to actually take over for the villain, gets rid of the villain, he becomes the villain, and he captures all of the replacement's heroes and takes over basically this movie world. Meanwhile, Slater and the girls, they're all, you know, kind of figuring it out. Slater is kind of, like, coming more on board with the fact that, like, female heroes can actually be a thing. So they come back, and the movie that he came from has actually ended by the time they get back. So they have to wait for it to start up again. But this time when it starts up, it's a very different movie. Because all of a sudden, the world that they came from has now been taken over by the, the guy that hopped in. And he is, he, you know, he got rid of, like, he captured all of the heroes and everything like that. So Slater and the girl, they go back in there to try and defeat the villain. But at this point, he's too powerful, and so they fail. So they barely escape. They stumble back into the real world. And Slater says that we need to, we need to assemble my team. Uh, so they go out, and they're looking for them in the real world. So they actually recruit real-life Chuck Norris and real-life Bruce Willis and real-life... But the problem is these guys are actors. They're not heroes, so they don't actually know how to fight. So they try and kind of train them. The one exception, like Adam mentioned, is Tom Cruise, who kind of is actually a superhero, uh, except for there has to be some point when they're actually fighting that Tom Cruise does some sort of ridiculous stunt and dies. Like, he, he just has got to be fit in there somewhere. So they come back in, and so these actors 
are helping Slater and the girl fight the bad guys. They end up freeing all of the actual heroes. So then the actors and the heroes that they play are fighting alongside each other. So you've got doubles of all of the squad and they all fight together to end up defeating all of the bad guys. The end this time is the girl decides that this world is actually better than the world that she came from and that she can make a bigger difference being a, you know, a character in this movie. So somehow she stays in this world and becomes a character in these movies. Very All right, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Very. <laughs> well, here we go. Down to the votes. Adam, where does your vote fall? Well, you know, I feel like, Jeremy, yours was definitely the most traditional, right? People want to know what happened to Danny. Do we continue in that universe? Old Jack? Evil Jack? I mean, there's a lot of fun elements at play there. But I feel like Jeff's does have that real relevancy right now and in the zeitgeist i think there's a few things we could tweak there that would make it something really resonant today so i think i'm gonna have to give jeff the vote on this one all right jeff kind of that same thing jeremy like i'm interested in the good jack bad jack part but to be honest like I was kind of over Danny halfway through that movie. So, like, to see him <laughs> back again is uh, not terribly appealing for me. So I would go Austin with Poor Austin O'Brien. <laughs> I can't true. believe you voted for me just because you don't like Danny. Okay. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's wow. rough. That's rough. All right. Well, I'm leaning Jeff then. I did have uh, – I had some ideas as Jeff's was going through where we could mash it together, but – I can't vote for myself, so we got to go with Jeff's here. Yeah. All right. There's our framework to go with, so that's very cool. My first thought, Jeff, just to keep with where I thought you were going, Mm -hmm. which is, again, just the representation of females as action stars, and certainly we know that's a, a bankable commodity in this day and age as well, especially. I thought that she was going to somehow either find some you know female action heroes because there have been a few over the years or that within that universe she was going to help the damsels in distress to get their power and feel confident in themselves so that they could come in and save the day because i I love the idea of having like the action star doubles and all of that and the jokes that could play there but i think they definitely have to fail and then it has to be that the women come in and they're the ones who actually manage to save the day. And maybe it's not through the macho nonsense. They probably have some skills in that in that area, but maybe they're just more clever about it. Something along those lines. What do you think about that change? Um, yeah. I, I, Is for it me, too on the nose? No, no, no. It's good. And you're right. And I think that it does need, rather than just dropping, because my thought was that the whole female thing was going to lead to her. And then she was going to kind of be the hero, and then that's why she, she she remains as a hero. But to do that, like, yeah, that that's kind of the landing place moral of the story, that makes a lot of sense, except for, I don't know, the whole, like, women are just as good because they're smarter I, I don't know about that quite angle, whether it's true or not. It's it's just like, I, I don't know that being women gives them an advantage as much as being women is not a disadvantage. 
Right. Well, I'm just saying maybe they they don't have the testosterone levels that would cause them to immediately just rush into beating somebody up. They might have a little bit more thought process to it. I'm just saying traditionally that's how the the male action stars are being presented. Yeah. Is like act first, think later, you know, destroy first and deal with consequences. Mm. And so, I don't know. So, but yeah, but you're right. We we could we could work with that. Also, Definitely have to bring back Bridget Wilson. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As her confidant or sidekick, you know, so maybe they're like a team. Was she his daughter or what was yeah. the deal? Yeah, yeah she was, was his daughter, daughter and he was disappointed that she was so basically focused on being, an, you know, a, a woman of action herself that she right. field strips rifles and whatever else, you know, instead right. of going to prom, that kind of stuff. Jeremy, what were you thinking? You said you had a couple thoughts that were crossing your mind. I mean, with the, the heroing and bringing in the other heroes or their counterparts from the real world, you'd have to get it to a point where because this is a movie and if we're making a sequel, a franchise or reboot where it's parodying the genre. So you'd have to have the lead girl as the she's got to play the Danny part, essentially, where right. she starts calling out all the cliches. And maybe oh. she much like I was saying, it's a battle of wits with movie cliches mm. well, and, and where was... she would outsmart him using those Maybe because because that was my thought is that, again, that that's where the villain, that's his thing. And so maybe you could even play because I, I kind of dropped that. But uh, we could even play that up is that he knows the genre perfectly. So that's why all of the heroes and even Slater are useless against him because he knows their every move before they make it. And so yeah. it's almost, yeah, they need to go outside so that's where maybe like the actors actually have an advantage because they're not limited by this world um they're yeah they can think outside of the cliche well and i'm sure there would be you you could even do a joke in there like you should have brought one of the writers in you know because i feel like the actors maybe should be a little bit clueless and they're like right. we don't know how to do I, I did this in this movie i did this in this movie and they try that and it doesn't work and then, so then they're like, oh, you know, if only we had one of the writers here who could come up with something for us. You right. know, so a little nod. But yeah, so I mean, but that could be good. I, Jeremy, I see what you're saying, but I mean, so it's kind of like she knows movies, the bad guy knows movies. He's planned ahead to outsmart all these guys. But I think the idea that, again, I feel like that's where, you know, the female perspective, again, not saying they're better, but just saying there may be a different thought process there that allows them to provide an alternate plan of action that then is what leads to success. Yes. So what we could say, rather than trying to beat around a bush here, the villain's overconfidence in his plan mm. blinds him to a loophole that she sees. Right. Or even just like, yeah, because he is limited by the things that they would do, you know? And so like, like that was even my thought is to do the one thing that isn't done. In, well, and it's, it's kind of the whole point of this movie in the first place. The, the first one is that one thing that action heroes don't do is they don't go meta. They don't like wink at their own formula because you, you can't. That formula right, is, right. is the whole thing. Like, I thought it might be funny to have when the actors show up, they're 
trying to confuse the bad guys to thinking that somehow the heroes have escaped or something, but they haven't played those characters in a while. Or they, yeah, they don't know how they don't have the script, so they don't right. know all of the same dialogue <laughs> or something like that. I mean, what if that was her journey a little bit more? What if she is an aspiring screenwriter? And maybe she has been trying to get stuff produced and maybe she's not getting the respect that she deserves. She's not getting the same opportunities that some of the male writers are getting, you know, predominantly male writers, at least in the movie business when you see names on on screen. And so maybe that that again is kind of part of her journey where it's her writing ability. It's, it, you know, it's not that she is also, you know, an action star in training per se, uh -huh. but she's someone who loves the genre and has written it and has found up with a clever new angle to, you know, to approach it from that has been rejected up to this point. But now you see, wow, that is exciting. That is new. It would work. And then, you know, so again, so maybe it plays more on that side where that's her reason strength yeah except for then what what's her motivation for going in the movie in the first place well she, she loves movies she she's uh, you know enamored with that world i mean because the, the question was originally why did she go in then what do you what were you saying right so she what, wanted to be a hero so what if we did this like she's going through her funk with trying to get scripts picked up or a movie produced whatever and so she throws in her favorite movie that she always falls back on that will inspire her and whatnot. And she finds that the movie has changed. Because the villain's already in there changing right. stuff? Okay. So it is a completely different movie now. Okay. Now, but what's our – because I feel like also then – if she doesn't want to be a, an action hero, then the first motivation of, hey, I want to become one. Oh, no, you can't. You're just a girl. Here, let me show you some girls that do it. Like, that motivation changes now. Right. But, uh, yeah, and I, I think that is true, that maybe that side of it maybe doesn't need to play as heavily. Because I'm actually even thinking it now, like you're saying there, Jeremy, like, you know, she sees that something has changed. But I think also in her pursuit of getting her scripts produced, I think what it should be is she probably notices, like she is noticing like the loopholes and the and the problems that exist in these plots and why everything is cliche. And so she's trying to shake it up, but the idea can be that they're not wanting that. You know, they're not accepting that. So what she wants to go in when she finds out that's a possibility, she wants to go in more so not to be the star but to help the star she wants to improve the story to her like that's the most important thing like make it something that's inspiring that makes sense that's also exciting and so like she's trying to go in to kind of give you know refresh the perspective of her heroes so they don't die out and end up in the expendables type movies hmm do you think it's more empowering that she should just want to be able to get in on the action? Do you think, do you feel like that's the more important side of it? That's the, the more obvious side of it. I mean, screenwriting thing, yeah, that's definitely, because like, I do like that idea of thinking about like how cool it would be to then have her write Slater's next movie. And, and then like how like weird that is that she knows Slater and she is writing him. And yeah. so he says what she tells him to like, that's yeah. really weird to do it that way. <laughs> that would the, be great. Yeah. But the whole thing of like the, 
yeah, the women in action movies, like it feel like the, then we kind of that would be I think that might take us like a back seat then in that. case. Well, but what she could do if we use that as another magical element, because maybe because uh, did we say she got the ticket? Like, how did how did she end up in the universe? I don't I don't remember specifically. It was more of a reboot. Oh, yeah. So, but Because my thought is, what if, like, yes, maybe the ticket is part of it, like, but it's just there. It, it like, happens to be there, like, part, it gets, like, put in a notebook. You know, she get, somebody gives her the ticket, right? And then she puts it in the notebook she's writing in, and that's what activates it. So when she goes into the movie, she can, like you just said, write people's dialogue. She can create a new character out of nowhere, and that's kind of her secret weapon. Maybe she doesn't discover it right away, so the villain is still kind of winning, and and she's following Jack's lead and the idea that he has when he, because he, you know, maybe if we want to say he remembers his adventure with Danny, so he remembers the ability to cross over into the you know, the real world. So that's why he goes and gets the other action stars and stuff. I don't know. So, you know, mm. so he's like, what if we double our forces and that's yeah. his idea and they go into that doesn't work. And then she writes something down. She's like, ah, you know, like maybe she, maybe that's one of her ticks and she can't stop writing. And then she starts writing and realizes, Oh, I just changed something. Right. So they could start using that. Okay. Cause I like that now that, that, so what if, the villain is also like maybe it's a another aspiring writer yeah. so they both ah, have that ability dual script and that's <laughs> why they need to go get the real life actors because they're not controlled by that right so they're the only ones ah. that aren't because they're not characters that are being controlled by the writers mm-hmm. so what if the opposing writer has figured this out already and he set himself up as the hero of this story and he's writing it as he's the villain but the hero of his own story and Mm. so she's writing it from the opposite perspective so there's the dual hero aspect going on and the opposing writer has brought in the real world people the actors like captured them from real life. So he's kind of forcing them to do things against their will on some, on some level. He's creating situations. Well, except for the other part though, that might be interesting is that because like they all, one of the tropes that they always talk about with action movies is that it's always way more fun to be the villain than to be the good guy. Cause the villains are much more colorful than the good guys. Mm-hmm. So what if he doesn't want to be it, the hero? He yeah. wants to be the villain or an even more so we could do an anti-hero where like it's going to yeah. be one of those. He writes where the villain wins. That's what he's writing. Or, or we could use, you know, Jeremy's evil Jack. So maybe they had, you know, Jack Slater six movies that they were each writing and competing for the job. And his was like a dark anti-hero Jack Slater. And hers was no, a Jack Slater that has learned and grown and, developed you know a sense of you know understanding about the world you know over his years and and it's a more kind of introspective film and whatever you know so that's like what's putting them at odds in the real world then they both end up in the movie world and so like they're again it's kind of just those different ideologies at play because i also like the idea that like she would be able to sneak in some sort of 
inner monologue for him it's like he's there doing all his villain stuff and then there's an inner monologue that says like you know i just can't let anybody know i'm overcompensating for my you know (laughs) crippling self-esteem issues you know like so she's like jerking him around yeah and so what because i still feel like then if the climax the, the the advantage is that she is not limited by the genre as much as the villain is, mm-hmm. is that what if that's where we work back in the female angle? What if she starts writing female characters, which he doesn't even give a second glance to because female characters are of no consequence in an action movie. Yeah. And then that then is how she ends up, you know, and I think what it should be is they come in as the stereotypical, right. so you know, so you have the woman in distress, but then she flips it, and now she, you know, you know, they're kind of they're almost like spies, like infiltrated because they're just there. They're basically invisible or arm candy, and then she writes them so they flip and have actual character, you know, motivations, and they have thoughts and yeah. ideas, and yeah, and so that would be a great moment for the end of it. I think that would be really exciting. So then, is the is the kind of the the plot line that we're going with that like the first attempt to overthrow is bringing in the actors, but even that fits into a trope somewhere. So that one fails. And so it's not until the, because otherwise it sounds like we're spending almost the entire time in the fictional world. I mean, I guess we kind of already did the whole fish out of water. Like let's put Jack Slater in the real world. Yeah. There's not much to do there. So what if we kind of establish the the present day world and we introduce the girl in the first act and throughout the first act we're seeing reports on the news or alerts on her phone of these major actors just straight up vanishing yeah so wait, the villain's going to be the one that's that's getting them? Well, I, I guess what we could do is it, it could be, too, that he maybe he is pulling together, like, the best villainous actors. So he's getting John Malkovich, or he's getting, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's, he's grabbing those guys for his forces, and they just think it's, like, a great role. So they, they're relishing playing it, you know? And then yeah. Slater goes right. after the actual heroes that he was teamed up with in the Expendables-type films. And then, so that they're all there on their side. But again, but either way, like that ends up not working out. But you could have a lot of inside jokes with things for sure. But I, yeah, and it could be that she maybe had me a meeting with, you know, Bruce Willis. Yeah, and then he he's gone. He just disappeared, and so that right. is one of the things that tips her off. My thought is is that if you bring an actor into the movie world, they're going to be the fish out of water because they don't fit in. They don't right. have it's the, a reversal. Exactly. Yeah. They don't have so it's like if the villain was kidnapping actors of famous villains, they would be useless because they don't know how to play villains without a script. They would just be people. So instead if he was, you know, recruiting fictional characters and somehow jumping, you know, franchises or whatever to combine like all the great, you know, Hans Gruber and uh, you know, all the great villains out there. Although it's still that one thing, and that's what I, I always, not to the movie G.I. Joe per se, but just to the concept of G.I. Joe, that I always appreciated, is the bad guys, Cobra, they always hated each other, and they would never get along <laughs> well. I think that's so strange when they put a bunch of villains together, and they're like, oh yeah, we're buddies, let's all do this together. No, they'd hate each other, they're villains, they, they no, don't you, get along. You gotta have that dynamic, definitely, because well, then you have Well, that's part of the cliches, yeah. right, that she can right. play off of. 
Yeah, she could pit them against each other and like make their, you know, their true desire, their true motivation. She could put it in front of them and then they, you know, betray each other for sure. Yeah. So let's let's then because it sounds like we have the basic premise. Let's talk a little bit about casting here then. So for this lead actress, who's who's going to team up with Slater then? Um, I'm trying to think of who we feel uh, would fit that role really well. Again, who is someone that you know has a lot of has a lot of guts, has a lot of gusto, who can be so clever. So what, what's the age range that we're looking here first? I'm thinking late twenties. Late twenties. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Because you don't want somebody who's too young. You want somebody who seems like they would have grown up in some you know, understanding action movies. Not to say that younger generations don't go back and watch them, but right. I'm just saying for the for the era we're working with, you want somebody who's kind of our age, but maybe a little bit younger, just to appeal to those demographics. Mm. You because know, I'm thinking, you know, immediately comes to mind for me is somebody like Allison Brie, who's just Whoa. got kind of that can do like yeah, she'll she'll. <laughs> get after it she could do that that kind of character pretty well um but i don't know if she's 100 percent right for this but she feels like someone who could fit in that world of like disbelief but then gets her act together type thing like yeah look i know what's going on true try to motivate people so because my first thought would be even though i'm not her biggest fan but is it felicity jones what's rogue one that's felicity Jones, Uh, oh yes yeah does she have any, I mean, again, actors are actors, but does she have any lighthearted films to her name? You know, moments of, you know, that that might be a little bit conducive to, to comedy? Because I, I guess I think of her Amazing more as like Spider-Man. a dramatic actress. No. Yeah. <laughs> Where she was there for five seconds as Felicia Hardy. You know. (laughs) Black cat that we'll never see. Diary of Anne Frank. That's nice and light. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, they don't have to come in as a comedic person, but I feel like it helps in this type of script that people can have that expectation. I mean, even Melissa McCarthy would be interesting Uh, to put her in. Overplayed. Overplayed. Her and. And not only that. She would be too. She's too big a character, you know. She would take up. She needs to be able to. That's why I, I'm still gonna go with Allison Brie. I mean, especially if you've watched Glow, like she mm-hmm. she can do anything. ensemble. Yeah, yeah. And, she, and she's always been great on Community and, right. and Glow and she everything. Can do yeah, action or she can do drama. She can do comedy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll never vote against her. No. <laughs> now, what about the villain then? What about the bad screenwriter? Who was I picturing? Ramy Malik. That's who should be huh. it. Mr. Robot himself. Yeah. Ramy Malik. <laughs> Does he play jerk though? He always seems oh, like that's... the nice guy. No, 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 no. you need to watch Mr. He can Robot. Play evil. Oh. Okay. Yeah. He no. I mostly know him from Night at the Museum, and I really want to see this new Queen <laughs> wow. movie. Yeah, I can't wait to true. see that. Sure. Looks great. Okay. Well let's let's give him a shot then. I like that. So uh, two stars of streaming television, good. <laughs> and uh, then, as far as you know, I think we are we kind of listed off, you know, who you would expect for all these, you know, because right now, I mean, even the Expendables films have not led to bigger and better things for people like <laughs> Stallone or Van Damme or whatever else, you know. So I feel like now's their time to come back around. And you know Dolph Lundgren and but you gotta give us else. you gotta give us Tom Cruise though Tom Cruise would be especially but he would do it especially yeah. I would just see him being like yes finally I get to actually fight people 
Like, he's so excited to really be an action hero. Well, that's what I like. Yeah, so, like, he's, like, super into it. And then if Dolph Lundgren is there, we know that he's, like, what, like, a he's got, like, a PhD in chemistry or something. He's, like, a super genius. So he gets to use his real skills. Gotcha. Yeah, is Bruce Willis going to croon him to death? I don't I, know. I, yeah, he's going to turn into like, Bruno and break like out his up. harmonica. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be really funny. Van Dam, Van Dam. I don't know what oh. his real world skill would be. Um. I feel like everything that I've heard about Van Dam, although then he did what was the Van Dam Johnson or whatever his right. last was, but everything that I've heard of him just makes him seem like such a jerk that's so full of himself. <laughs> and so for him, for him then to show up and be like, Jean Claude, we need you for this. I'm I'm Jean Claude Van Damme. Yeah, oh, I, I think sorry. you just play him as a real understated guy. Like they actually don't give him. Or maybe he like he like pulled a hamstring or something, so he can't do any of his moves. He's just like so he's got to like pull out some secret skill you didn't know he had, like a bird call or something that distracts. Oh, I just thought him. he would just know. refuse and just say no. I'm oh. too big for this. <laughs> but then there, there should totally be somebody that they just like don't invite. Somebody that they're like, he's like, what about me, guys? Like, and he just like shows, not no, you got to invite Sly, but like <laughs> somebody who's like not in that Bosworth, same... Brian Bosworth, <laughs> who exactly? You know, Brian Bos, man. Um, I'm go, I'm going to like the the C level direct to video guys. Ooh, what like... about? And this breaks my heart to say so. Nick Cage. <laughs> what about Bruce Boxletter? He's like, but I was Tron. Tron is not an action hero. (laughs) Oh, Bruce Bruce Boxletter, he'd totally do it too. (laughs) No, what about you? No, we just missed it. With a Bruce, you get Bruce Campbell. Oh, Bruce Bruce Campbell, man. He's the guy who's just like, you guys are jerks. (laughs) (laughs) My franchise is still relevant. You know, he's like, I still got a TV show. Anyway, because the one that I was thinking that I would like to throw in there would be uh, Samuel L. Jackson would do a great, you know, oh, yeah, of himself. But the CB, he, he's, he plays heroes and villains. Right. Sure. So I almost think it'd be more fun to get him on the villain side for or, some reason. What if he's like, on not... both sides? So we have three oh. Samuel L. Jacksons. The real one. And <laughs> that would be characters. funny. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> no. Well, except for, I, I didn't want to, but like, because that'd be the same thing with like Terry Crews. Where Terry Crews is like, come on, guys! And like, who are you again? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) But I also think we have to have somebody on the villain side uh, of the actors who comes in. Like you said, we'd get actual villains from films. But I think there's got to be one guy that gets pulled into it who was at a screening of one of his films. And And so he just got pulled in like by accident, not his screen counterpart. And... What it has to be is it has to be somebody who always plays the nice guy. You know, Schwarzenegger would be like, why are you doing this? He's like, I I never get to play the villain. I'm always the nice guy. So he's like super excited about being on the villain's team, you know. So I'm trying to think. Could DiCaprio play that? He could. Does he play a villain? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how good I a sense of humor sleaze, DiCaprio has. But, uh, I mean, he was yeah. totally the villain in in like what Django and um, yeah, he's been villains before. What about Zachary Levi? It seems like he <laughs> would be. He'd be pretty corny. Marvel. And he's never a bad guy, is he? But he's I don't, he's not in the same. He's not big I, enough. He, he, yeah, he's not there yet. He's not a movie guy. You know, he's a TV guy mostly. Because I was thinking something more along the lines of, like, Greg Kinnear, you know? 
He's, he's like, he's such a nice guy in his movies. Yeah, he's just kind of yeah. unassuming. It's true, he is. Plus, he was in, you know, he was in Mystery Men. So, you know, you bring him back around, and he was technically a good guy in that one. He's like, oh, I really wanted to sink my teeth into that movie, to Frankenstein What's-His-Face. But who are who are the movie villains you want in place, then? Who, who are you thinking you want to grab? I mean, you said Hans Gruber, but Alan Rickman's yeah, gone. Yeah, and I don't well, want to no. Uh, also, are we limited to just Sony properties? Because the, it is a Sony franchise. Well, I I don't, I, I don't know how well before. they'll play. Well, they're buddies with Disney now, and right. Disney owns everybody, right. so right. maybe they can Plus, reach an arrangement. Because, I mean, when they did it the first time, like, Sony didn't have Terminator, did they? Well, there was no... Oh, but well, you're saying Columbia. Robert Patrick? Well, and not only that, they had the entire, like, the cutout of uh, Terminator 2 with Sylvester Stallone. Oh, Stilone. that's true. So I don't think they're limited. Yeah, Schwarzenegger just pulled strings. Right. I'm sure he just called all his favors in. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. Well, it's the same thing they did with Ready Player One, right? You can mm-hmm. get yeah, all Spielberg. these people working together if you you know, call the right people. But I think also as a callback to the original, either on the villain side or the hero side, we need an animated character. You got to have that in there. You know, just uh, as like because again, you don't want to limit yourself. Except for then you're getting real like. <laughs> I try and do nothing that the original movie did. Ooh, ooh, maybe we could do it both ways. Is that you get Andy Circus, and so either you actually get the actor Andy Circus, and he's like, you're just, you're just like, just a guy. Like, well, but, but, you know, when I got my little suit on or something like that, or you get, yeah, Andy Circus, or like maybe that's what happens is that when you kill the animated creature, then he just becomes Andy Circus. I don't know. So the ones that I would throw out, though, because just looking, which, by the by, what is this? Empire, greatest villains of all time. Number seven is Kylo Ren. Come on. What? Get out of here. That's so ridiculous. Uh, he's a but, villain on the rise. He's a joke. Come on. Uh, so anyway, but the ones that are good ideas is one, Robert Patrick again, T-1000. That would be good. Hugo Weaving, Agent Smith. Uh, Louis Fletcher, Nurse Ratchet. That's always good. Uh, then the other one is really any character that Javier Bardem has ever played. With, <laughs> just have him himself. He's creepy enough. Same thing with uh, Christoph Waltz. That's another one. He's got so many characters you could choose from. I feel like those are all like cerebral villains, though. Like this, they're not so like intimidating. I don't know. Like I, I feel like you got to go for the ones that maybe have a little bit more to play with you know like why not get darth vader you know like what you know i'm saying like you're getting silly now this is where once you get people in costumes and you get cartoonish or sci-fi or like it's just gonna it's gonna feel too fantastic as opposed to because that's the other part too is that if we're sticking with action movies i mean granted like no country for old men is maybe not necessarily an action movie but Mm -hmm. or i guess you could call skyfall he was the bad guy in skyfall but once you, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like once you start going sci-fi, you're, you're we're getting into. But that right. that could be the other juxtaposition between her style and the evil guy's style. Because what if he pulls in all these guys he thinks are like ultra powerful and again maybe have these upgraded weapons or whatever, and then she knows their psyches. And she's able to damage, like, you know, she reminds Anakin about his mom, you know, and, and throws sand at him. Oh, I hate sand! You know, like, <laughs> you know, just, like, stupid stuff like that. And it's like, oh, no, they're all villains and evil because they're 
they're broken people, you know? Right. So, like, she could play with that and, like, totally disable, except for, like, a Samuel L. Jackson villain who's just, like, <laughs> you know, unflappable, maybe. If it's the guy from Kingsman or right. Mr. Glass it's would be fun. much good. That, but... that seems like too much of a left turn into Adamville. Right. Well, <laughs> and, I, I, feel unless... like, I feel like it's what went wrong with the first movie, is that it got too <laughs> silly. And then okay. if we get that, that that's my only fear. Because and that's the the thing too is that I think we still go for humor. Like that's mm-hmm. still this is a humorous spin on right. action. But but it's maybe more snarky than like you know exactly than what we're going yeah. with. Okay, so do what what kind of director? Because John McTiernan maybe just not <laughs> the right guy for this style of film. So. Who do we feel is someone that might be Taika Waititi? And I'm sure he just seems to be on everybody's uh, mind these days if you're going action comedy. But I was trying to think of something, somebody maybe a little bit more like, almost somebody maybe who's like been seemingly cast out and let's give them another chance that's not Josh Trank. You, um, you mean James Gunn? <laughs> James Gunn James, is available. Get, he is now available. I don't know. That's going to that's gonna kind of taint your movie, out. though. Yeah, so. possibly. possibly. Uh, but also... But, but you've already got Dave Bautista. All you got to do is like, hey, he'll be in it. So. <laughs> what about Colin Trevorrow? Well, safety not guaranteed. And Jurassic World wasn't bad. It was an okay... But, but why are we like? Reboot. But what has he done that we're like? Yes, this is why. Like I, right. I don't what, know that he's. What about hey? Does Channing Tatum want to step into no, the director's chair? Never. No, <laughs> no. We have a we have a boycott against him on this show. I was trying to give Channing Tatum the olive branch. I was <laughs> reaching out. Wait, no, that's a whole different direction. Because I just well I don't even know what page I'm on, but I just there's a picture of Simon Pegg came up, so I was like, hey Edgar Wright, but. Then, I feel like we always circle the same directors every every show. Yeah, there's there's good ones and there's the rest. He's got our go own there. feel for what we're writing tends to fall within a very narrow range of directors. Fairly narrow. This is true. Our studio, the the Sequel Quest studio output is uh, you know what you're getting. You know, <laughs> it's kind of a kind of right just, over, over there with Blumhouse. So. so what about what else has she done? Not a whole lot. What about Lorraine Scafara? Mm-hmm. But she, because uh, I saw, I don't know if you guys saw that movie, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World with Steve Carell and Kira Knightley. For some reason, that reminds me of this. Then she wrote Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Hmm. I don't know. That seems like, especially with a female lead, getting a female yeah. director. I would be opposed to it taking a chance yeah, on a female director again who's kind of up and coming. Because, and if she's an actress as well, I mean, that's what I was next going to suggest is an actor turned director, somebody who would have that inside perspective on both sides and have fun playing with it. Elizabeth Banks? Does she, she direct these days? Yeah. See, the other problem is, though, too, is that it's almost the reverse, though. And that's the same thing with Lorraine Scafara. It doesn't look like she's done anything action-wise. Because, again, that was, I think, the problem. one of the problems with the first one is it was somebody who had done action but hadn't done comedy or meta or anything like that. So to find a director that has done both, I think that's kind of a challenge. I mean, the one that keeps popping into my head is the similarity to, like, Inception. So you go down the Christopher Nolan route. What? But I feel like that gets a lot 
There is no comedy in that man's blood. Yeah. He knows nothing. Yeah. He is he is a he's a shell of a human being who makes very interesting <laughs> wow. films. Wow! <laughs> from all I've gathered from him and looking real. at his characters, I'm like, what does he know about? He's a like... shell of a human being. Oh my <laughs> he's gosh. just so cold. He's so cold <laughs> in his films. But uh, oh. but I was thinking, what about um, what's happened. the dude? He, I mean, he makes all sorts of experimental films as well as big budget, but the guy who did the Ocean's Eleven films, Soderbergh, Steven Soderbergh. But yeah, but like he did that in, if you go to like the Ocean, it was Ocean's 13, which is the one where Julia Roberts plays Julia Roberts. I don't, you know what I'm saying? That was not a great option though. Well, but no, I I liked it. That that was clever to me. And she meets Bruce Willis. Hey, your kids left that stuff over at our house. Like that, so you Mm. can play. And and he has worked with that. And he's worked with like top tier celebrities. So I feel like his connections could probably actually get a lot of the the jokey cameos that we want too. Mm. So I think Steven Soderbergh's Last Action Hero (laughs) 2. Speaking of which, now what do we call on this? Well, I had last action heroin with an I-N-E, just in case you're free. I know. That's what I was just going to say. I was like, I hope there's an E on there. (laughs) Marketing department's going to have more problems. There you go. But I almost wonder, is last action hero name tainted? That's a good point. And not only that, but like we're not even really sticking. Because that's the one part, and you kind of mentioned it too, Adam. I think that uh, the first movie didn't have much of a character arc for slater and i don't think we do either he's not changing any as far as i can well and i I mentioned it very briefly the thing that i was saying is i think that her script that she wrote shows a character who has grown and developed it's almost like the rocky balboa of jack slater films you know so like her her script is probably called jack slater and it's more of an introspective piece about this man who's done all these violent things in the name of justice throughout his life and is now kind of dealing with it coming to terms and growing beyond it and so i feel like that is i that's probably why schwarzenegger would want to come back because now it's like it's doing something beyond just tough guy or old guy who's you know hanging on to his tough roots and so i feel like that is the story i mean so like i i think like we could definitely play on that somehow but you don't want it to sound too melodramatic and yet i love the idea of calling it jack slater just to play on that trope of jason Bourne, you know of it wasn't john rambo was it it was just, just rambo. rambo right yeah. well, we want to just it, call it slater slater <laughs> people are gonna think mario lopez is in this thing <laughs> we're gonna be a whole, whole bunch of different people problems people still think that i don't know <laughs> but you're right yeah I'm i think jack sure. slater that especially yeah you put it, it almost like jack reacher It'll be that same yeah. sort of a thing. Exactly. I mean, and I, I think we might get complaints like, well, if she's the star, why are we putting his name in there? But I think, again, that kind of plays into the theme of yeah. the story. That's what it's about. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Okay. We've done it. Last Action Hero 2. Get ready for it. The 30th anniversary, we'll get this thing in theaters. It's going to take a lot of time to get all the, the clearance and bring all the characters in. But Try and think... convince them. No, seriously this time, guys. Seriously. <laughs> really. This, this one will work. We'll put yes. it on the side of a spaceship. It's great. Hey, Jim Belushi will be there. <laughs> this will not be our last action podcast, however. We will be back 
with more action, with more excitement next week. I feel like we don't, a lot of times we pitch you episodes so far in the future. We're not telling you what's coming up immediately after this, but we have CT from the Nerd Lunch podcast, a major fan of the A-Team, but especially the A-Team film. That's right. So we're going to get deep into that lore. We're going to find out what you do for a second film to reignite interest. Maybe it was just a few years too early. Who knows? So the A-Team 2, get Bradley Cooper back in there and all the rest. I guess I should give Liam Neeson. I think he was the (laughs) top of the, the cast list there. But either way, we're excited to have you back next week. Be there. Tell your friends. Spread the word. But we want to have you involved. And so we want to open this up to you as well. If you have a pitch, but you're just not someone who's comfortable being on mic, send us your pitch. Jeremy will read it. He's the man with the golden voice. He'll share your thoughts and ideas. And who knows, you might win out. And we could expand on those ideas and totally destroy your story and make you upset. (laughs) But at least you tried. So, until next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 